I'm a sucker for contrast, right? <laughs> we go from the intensity of that uncommon opener to doot, doot, doot. Uh, I love that. So for those of you who didn't take auto mechanics in high school, the cylinder and the engine is that part which kind of creates the structure where fuel, air, and spark come together, they mix, and they're compressed and they combust, which propels the crankshaft and ultimately the drivetrain of the vehicle, allowing the vehicle to accelerate down the road. But the structure is there. Uh, imagine all that energy being unleashed, but without the structure, there's nothing to put it to motion, right? Nothing to convert that into forward momentum. So if you're going on a trip, what's the first thing you need to know? Where you are, right? So often we think, well, where you're going, which is important, but you know, I went to school in Memphis, Tennessee, and if you're asking me, Josiah, how do you get to Memphis? I say, well, you just basically go 1,400 miles that way. That makes sense if your location is starting in Phoenix, Arizona. If you're starting in Tampa, Florida, you're gonna be ending up somewhere in the middle of the ocean, right? So we gotta start with location. And over the last few weeks through this series, we've talked about blind spot. What are the areas, the hurts, habits, and hangups in our life that we may need to work on overcoming, sometimes with accountability of other people in order to reach the destination, which is Christ-likeness. That's the destination, by the way, for every Christian, not just for renovators. And then we talked about built to run. How has God uniquely created you, gifted you to make a unique impact in the world? And then we talked about route. So now that we know where we're starting from and where we're headed, we, the route is kind of how we're going to get there, right? It's the map. And so far, we've been probably informational, maybe inspirational to a point. But today, this is where the rubber hits the road. This is where we begin to channel that energy, all of these different things come together in cylinder this week to begin to move us forward. It's going to be a little more teaching than preaching. Hope that's okay. Um, by the way, at the beginning of this series, I know Pastor Kurt mentioned something along the lines of that many of you were here five years ago when we did this series previously, or you've been through the trainings, and, uh, and he says, so, so you, you may have already heard it. <laughs> I would humbly suggest this morning that Maybe we haven't quite heard it like this because, I don't know about you, but my life sure looks a lot different than it did five years ago. I mean, for one, I wasn't a father or a husband five years ago. Not to mention five years ago, I hadn't been through two years of a, of a pandemic, hadn't witnessed so much racial tension and political uh, discord, right? Five years ago, I wasn't paying $5 for a gallon of gas. <laughs> and I think part of, of this is we, we need to hear it through the lens of today. And just like scripture over the generations, people have reinterpreted, reinterpreted, reinterpreted and contextualized scripture. So this morning, this, which I believe, I mean this, I was with mom earlier this week and Uncommon. This is at the absolute epicenter of everything we are at Renovation Church. Know what I mean? Not men's and women's ministries or teens or children or dinner on the grounds or missions trips, and those are all great things, but most of those things you could probably find at another church. But one thing you cannot find at another church is uncommon, this tool that we believe God has given us to be able to help people move from not only realization to now mission. So, with that in mind, <laughs> um, 
I wanna put up my uncommonality sheet. because so you've seen Pastor Kurtz over the last few weeks and I know many of you in this room have done yours before. Um, but this is kind of, this comes from the built to run week, right? And this is where in the training, you identify where you fall in all these different areas. So this is kind of like a map or overview of how I am made up as a person. And what's kind of cool is you can begin to see patterns emerge in this, right? And so if we go to the next slide, you see, for example, when you look at craftsmanship, creating under creating under holy discontent, that's either meaningful things or experiences for people, or it's creating uh, church resources. Um, maybe you didn't know that could be a holy discontent. When you look at achiever in multiple areas, ideation, full-time ministry, coding, that means software, not like flatlining on a table somewhere. Um, church tech, when you start looking at these, these things, you can see why I'm so passionate about creating apps and resources for churches and, and, uh, and ministry leaders, which I've had the privilege now of doing for years, both inside and outside of the local church. Um, next slide. Some more similarities. When you look at some of my scars, like being molested as a child or dad being absent for much of my childhood, and, and you see relator and now fatherhood under experiences. By the way, that was a recent addition that wasn't actually on here last time I filled this sheet out. Um, and then crimes against the innocent, which includes you know, child abuse. You could see why it was so important for me to get licensed for foster care, to understand to have my heart break, and to be able to relate to those victims and past victims, say, I've been in your shoes, I know what it feels like, and here is how Jesus no longer called me a victim, right, but a victor. Next slide. When you look at my most natural spiritual discipline, one of being solitude, being alone with God, sacred pathway, primary being naturalist, outdoors and creation. When you look at hiking as a hobby, you can see why one of my most favorite places to be is alone, outdoors, hiking. <laughs> and honestly, over the years, this has been some of the most spiritually deepening and meaningful times for me. And especially, I think, how many miles and hours I've prayed in these Phoenix Mountains over here, P-R-A-Y, not E-Y, obviously. Um, but it's just, <laughs> someone got that. Some of you will get that tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting when we can begin to see, okay, this starts to make sense. This is why I'm drawn to certain things, and God has, has created me in a specific way. And when we begin to lean into and engage those things, it affects not only you know, one area of our life, like my physical, um, but also spiritual, multiple areas of our lives can be impacted when we lean into this. And I wish this morning we had time to put up the uncommonality sheets of everyone who's done one. You know, I, I see, you know, Mom and Joel, Kent and Gina, um, who else, Steve, I, I know, Sammy, Sam, I, like, if we could go through and have each of you put yours up on the screen and kind of explain what are the similarities that you've seen in your own life, and over the last two to five years, what are some of the structure that you've put in place to help move your, your, your dreams, God-given purpose, further, right? Is also, I'll come back later and talk about how everything is spiritual, but we're looking at both spiritual and practical things. Um, but for all of us this morning, just imagine for a moment what our future could look like if we were to submit ourselves to the changes and disciplines necessary in order to reach our destination. Christ-likeness. If you have your Bibles, please turn or tap to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to begin reading in verse 24, 
And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And Paul is using very strong language here, and he's talking about spiritual formation. And he's saying spiritual formation doesn't happen by accident, okay? It has to be incredibly intentional. It has to be, incre- there has to be discipline involved in what we're doing. And maybe you, there would be some this morning that would think discipline is legalism. But the outcome of legalism and discipline could not be more different. The end result of legalism is bondage. And maybe this morning legalism is a new phrase or a new word. You don't really understand what that means. And so I want to take a quick stab at kind of maybe explaining some of what I see. I see it as being kind of a variety of possibilities. I think for one, legalism can be when you're known more as a Christian for what you're against than who or what you're for. My uncle used to say, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do, (laughs) right? (laughs) But I also know Christians who who are very against abortion, and yet in their life, I don't see how they are campaigning and supporting single mothers who don't feel like they have another choice. I think legalism could also be like a holier-than-thou almost mentality. It's this comparison trap where where maybe you're not perfect, right? But at least you're not like so-and-so. <laughs> I mean, they're really to the wind, you know? And it's this comparing ourselves as better than or to others or trying to hold them to our expectation. And isn't that exactly what the Pharisee in Luke 18 praying on the street corner said? Thank you, God, that I am not like all these other people. <laughs> tax collectors, prostitutes, and so on and so on. And I wonder the last time that you pulled up to one of these intersections and you saw someone standing on the street corner with a sign asking for money, was your initial instinct one of your heart breaking with compassion for them and their situation? Or was your initial thought something more along the lines of, I just wish they would get a job like me. I just wish they would start paying taxes and contribute to society like I have to, right? It's like, remember that Jeff Foxworthy bit, you might be a redneck if, you might be a legalist if. (laughs) Sometimes legalism isn't that blatant. In fact, sometimes it's almost um, innocent, I think, or naive at least. I think sometimes legalism can be getting so wrapped up in the concept of doing things for God that we miss out on the person of Jesus, I think of Mary and Martha and Jesus. Now, granted, Martha had some pressure on, right? They were having dinner guests over, and he just happened to be the king of kings, lord of lords, no big deal. But she wanted things to be right, and so she was in the kitchen, and I just picture Martha, like, passive-aggressively slamming kitchen doors and as she's cooking and sweeping and doing all these other things, hoping that Mary's going to pick up on, on what she's putting down, Right? But Mary doesn't. She's just so captivated by Jesus. So Martha says, hey, hey, uh, um, hey Jesus, 
why don't you tell my sister to get off her backside and come help me out? (laughs) To which Jesus replies, basically, you're missing the point. And legalism can be when we get so busy doing good things for the kingdom, good things for God, that we miss out on the fellowship with Jesus at the center. I think legalism can also be trying to look like we have it all together, right? I mean, the Pharisees were great at this in Scripture, but Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. He says, on the outside, you look beautiful. He's like, but inside, you got a corpse rotting. Something stinketh up in there. And (laughs) maybe that was Lazarus, but... (laughs) um, I mean, can I just, this reminds me of a story that Pastor Craig Rochelle tells early in his ministry when he was itinerant preaching. And he was preaching at a, at a small country church, and before, before the service started, he and one of the elders were standing out front on the steps, welcoming the congregants, shaking hands, kissing babies. It was pre-COVID, so it was fine. And, um, but, they, but as they were coming out, they were just about to turn around and go in to begin service, where they saw one more kind of junky-looking car rattle in and sputter to a stop in the, in, the, in the parking lot. And this young lady got out, and she looked like she had been through the ringer. Mascara running down her face. Sorry. Um, holes ripped in her dirty sweatpants, right? And Craig couldn't help but think, man, I don't know what brought this young lady here today, but she must just need to hear a little bit of hope. And so as she began to walk up the steps and Craig stepped forward to shake her hand, the elder actually like intersected in front of him, blocking the doorway and said, young lady at our church, we dress our best for God. As she choked back her tears and returned to her vehicle, drove away and never came back. And I think legalism in any form is toxic and it's tragic and it leads to bondage. The end result of discipline is what? Freedom. Yeah. My brother Joel is an amazing bass player, not to toot your horn, okay? But that's why we had him playing drums today. (laughs) Kidding. We're a little light on drummers at the moment. I'm working on it. Um, but it's incredible because I can take any piece, doesn't matter how new the song is, how complex it is, and he'd be like, yeah, no problem. He just amazifies it effortlessly. Well, I was talking to him recently, and he was talking about how much time he spends each week practicing the bass. And I'm like thinking, dude, like you're amazing enough, okay? You don't need to practice. <laughs> but then it struck me, what if what I considered amazing enough wasn't good enough? What if he's amazing because he practices, because he gets ready and stays ready to be called upon at any moment? Then it's effortless, right? The end result of discipline is freedom. Abraham Lincoln famously said one time, I will get ready and then perhaps my chance will come. When we read the armor of God in Ephesians 6, isn't it all about preparation? It's all about preparation. What are the feet fitted with? Readiness. Literally about getting and staying ready so that when the devil's schemes, the devil's tax comes, not if, but when the devil's schemes come, then we are able to stand firm because we've been ready. 
How many of you today, if the devil was to come knock on your door and be like, hey, yo, this is the day that I've been waiting for, you would say, you know what? I've been prayed up. I'm ready. I've been preparing for this moment for all of my life. And now, devil, I double dog dare you to bring your worst on me and my family. (laughs) Some of you just got a little stressed out. (laughs) And maybe, just maybe, that's because you're not sure if you'd be prepared for that to happen. Who in here likes grapefruit? Let's see, John, come on up. (laughs) You're the next contestant on who wants a grapefruit. All right, I got this beautiful, delicious ruby red grapefruit I just picked off my tree this morning. Um, I'd like to give it to you, but before, I wanna see if you're able to balance it on your head. Okay, now hold there for a sec. Okay. (laughs) All right, now. Did you suddenly just feel stressed? (laughs) So stress is this, right? Stress is when you're not sure, you doubt your readiness for the accountability required. Okay? In other words, stress is when you're called up into a situation that maybe you didn't know was going to happen, but it's there, and you weren't really ready for it. Part of it is John doesn't know how accomplished I am or accurate with this tool, um, amongst other things. Um, To set your mind at ease, I'm not feeling stressed. What I'm feeling is pressure, because I've been training on this. I spent almost five minutes yesterday shooting it around the house, (laughs) and I got pretty good at hitting our trash can like 50% of the time. So, (laughs) pressure is when you've been training, you've been preparing so that when the situation arises, you're ready to jump into it, and it's different. You can keep that grapefruit. (laughs) I think you've earned a little stress eating. (laughs) By the way, this little bow and arrow, it's got flashing lights on it. I know you want one. I know you want one. You can play with it later if you want. So you understand the difference between stress and pressure being called up when you're not ready, when you're not prepared. I think some of us, if we're honest, have been waiting or praying for an opportunity to present itself in our lives, maybe for a while. Maybe it's a a, a certain job or a relocation or a relationship or even a calling, but the truth is, if you were to get that phone call today, you wouldn't really be ready for it, would you? As long as I've known my wife, Michelle, um, She's always thought that someday she would love to move back to Afghanistan where she lived during 9-11. And and I know it's a little delicate there now, but she'd love to move back and and, uh, care for orphans. And the truth is, if we ever did decide to do that, there would be a lot of preparation that would have to happen first, right? Before we catapult into a new country, new culture. There'd be cultural studies, religious studies, uh, language studies. We'd need to understand how the local economy functions and works. How do you operate real estate? Where do you buy your food? And so on and so forth, right? And so if they were to call up this afternoon and be like, hey, coast is clear, come on over. <laughs> be like, um, not quite ready. We were just thinking about that maybe someday. And how many of our dreams get stuck in someday? Someday my prince will come. Thank you, Disney. Someday we'll have our finances figured out. 
Someday I'll be able to spend more time with my kids. Someday I'll realize the dream that's been burning in my heart for years, but without intentional disciplines, someday isn't coming. Someday I want to be Christ-like destination. Someday I want to lead my family well. And here's the thing, discipline isn't always fun. I get that. In fact, there are a lot of things that I don't like to do at all, but you know the difference between successful and unsuccessful people is this. Unsuccessful people avoid the things they don't like to do, whereas successful people don't like to do them either, but they do them anyway because it advances their mission, it advances their calling, it advances their purpose in life. Following Jesus means learning to arrange our lives around those practices, exercises, and disciplines that will enable us to stay connected to him, live more like him, and be a blessing to others. So the million-dollar question this morning is, how can you create structure in your life to accelerate? Because this vehicle that we're building, it's, it, it, you're built to run. This vehicle is made to accelerate, not, not stagnate. Right? Your spiritual life is not made just to get to a certain point and then you're like, okay, I feel good about where I am. I can stay here and ride it out. No. It's not built to stagnate. It's also not built to procrastinate someday and definitely not built to annihilate, which is ultimately burnout, going at wild in every direction and without a purpose until you explode <laughs> or internally combust or whatever the phrase you want to use there. But we are built to accelerate and I want to suggest both spiritual and practical applications this morning on how we get there. First, spiritual disciplines. A spiritual discipline is something that we intentionally engage in order to, um, in that it takes a certain part of our life and reorients it so that we become more focused on Christ. There are two books this morning. I highly recommend them both that we're taking these uh, definitions from. One is The Spirit of the Disciplines by Dallas Willard. The other is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I'm going to go through them pretty quickly. Um, so we've also made a resource available on our website, in case you can't keep up with the note-taking that has expanded definitions and explanations, and that is at renovationphx.com forward slash cylinder. Cylinder. When I say spiritual disciplines, also, we're talking about those disciplines and, and uh, practices modeled by Jesus in the New Testament. So this boils down to WWJD, ultimately, right? Um, categorized into to two areas. First, the disciplines of letting go. These are things that, that practices allow us to relinquish something in order to gain something new. The first one is solitude just spending time alone to be with God. Now, for some of you relational folks, this sounds stressful, right? You don't want to be alone. You're like, you don't mind being alone as long as you're with everybody else. Um, for the introverts, you may be like, yes. <laughs> just remember, this is not me time. This is we time, right? This is time set aside intentionally to focus on, to hear from God. Next discipline is silence. Removing noisy distractions to hear from God. How many notifications pop up on your phone on a daily basis? None? Cool. Well, so you, you don't need your phone then, so I guess just throw it away, and then you have plenty of time to reflect on God in silence. Now, but silence is where we're quiet and we listen, right? And 
It helps if you can find a quiet place to do this. I realize that may not always be the case. I think of Susanna Wesley, who famously, in a house of 15 children running around all the time, in the middle of that chaos, she would create a prayer closet in the middle of the kitchen by draping her apron over her head. And that was a sign to her children, okay, you don't talk to mom right now because she's with Jesus. So even in the midst of chaos, if you quiet your heart, fasting, Fasting is skipping, typically skipping a meal or, or meals to find greater nourishment from God. Sometimes it's choosing a period of time to go without food and to feel the hunger pains and to depend on God to fill us with his grace. And if fasting isn't medically advised for you, there are other things you can fast besides food from, from technology or TV or internet or whatever it is, but something just to really reinforce our reliance upon God. Frugality, this is also called simplicity, but learning to live with less and still meet your basic needs. Chastity, voluntarily choosing to abstain from marital relations for a time in order to find higher fulfillment in God. Secrecy, this isn't like scheming. This is like learning to serve somewhere in a way that doesn't earn man's attention, right? It's so easy to do great things for God when other people notice. But what if your spouse doesn't notice that you took out the trash? <laughs> what, if, what if no one sees you serving in an area of the church during the week that's just, maybe it's taking trash out or I don't know why trash is on my mind right now. <laughs> Probably we got trash at the house that we need to take care of. Um, <laughs> but finding a place to serve in secret. And finally, um, sacrifice. Giving of our resources beyond what seems reasonable to remind us of our dependence on Christ. I love how John Wesley put it when asked what you're supposed to do with money. And he said, he's like, I believe you should make as much money as you can, save as much money as you can, and give away as much money as ever you can. <laughs> There's someone that I know who has been audited multiple times by the IRS because their charitable contributions look very highly disproportionate to their income. Would you like to be audited for giving away too much? <laughs> Second, disciplines of activity. These are choosing to participate in activities that nurture our souls and strengthen us for the race ahead. So the first set was giving something up in order to receive from God. These ones are things that we engage in that draw us closer to God. The first is study. Spending time reading the scriptures and meditating on its meaning and importance in our lives. Next is worship, offering praise and adoration to God. And this could be, you know, launching Spotify or the radio or something and singing along with worship songs throughout the week. It could be reciting scripture and you're going as it comes to mind. There's different ways that we can worship the other 167 hours of the week. Prayer, talking to and listening to God about your relationship with him and about the concerns of others. Fellowship. Wow, this one's been a toughie the last few years, huh? Fellowship, that koinonia, the picture there is, is this rubbing shoulders. This isn't something that happens virtually. And I'm thankful for the connections over the last few years through sickness and other things that, that the, the digital resources that has helped us stay somewhat connected, but that is not fellowship. And, and Jesus is so clear, do not neglect, forsake the fellowship 
of believers because when you get together, it's not just encouraging one another, you're ministering to one another and it's a social engagement, right? (laughs) So that's something, church, that we wanna make sure um, not to neglect. Confession, regularly confess your sins to the Lord and other trusted individuals. Just as often as you're aware of sin in your life, just ask that God would help you to keep short, short accounts with it, right? As soon as you become aware to offer it up. Submission, humbling yourself before God and others while seeking accountability in relationships. It's like Pastor Kurt has been saying over the weeks, there's a certain rung you can't get to on this ladder without the accountability of others, others that you trust that are holding around to make sure you're not gonna topple over when you get to the top. And I don't trust that I am quite as coordinated as he, so I'm not gonna climb all the way up to the top. Um, And sometimes beginning a new discipline, it may start off as like a have to, right? I have to do this. When I started running in my late 20s, I remember that the first 15, 20 times that I went running, I'm just like, this is the worst idea ever. Why am I doing this? My body hurts. I can't breathe. I just want to quit. But I stuck with it because I wanted to be able to run a half marathon. And what's interesting is as I stuck with it, it moved from a have to to a get to. Because, man, I started to feel better when I ran. I started to have sustained energy throughout the day. I started sleeping better. And unfortunately, I had an injury that kind of stopped me from running. But the point is, sometimes you just got to start. And it may be a have to in the beginning. But it can move to a get to, to something that you look forward to. You may also naturally gravitate towards certain disciplines. You know, on my sheet... I had my top two were solitude and silence. And so sometimes fellowship can be a little bit of a challenge for me, especially if I've had an emotionally draining week, right? But man, you can't neglect that. And so I'd encourage us all, go through these, especially if you've written down that website, visit later, go through these and maybe read some of these books, find out more about it, see how they're rooted by the example of Jesus. And then let's let's challenge ourselves to, uh, to engage in these. Um, And as we do, that begins to become the structure. That becomes the cylinder that now translates all of the the commonalities, all the unique ways that you are wired and begins to propel propel you forward toward Christ-likeness. Okay, everything is spiritual. So I know I just, I'm kind of separating the spiritual from the practical, and I understand everything is spiritual. When you look at this sheet, every unique ability, gifting, experience, your personality, the way you are wired, it's all spiritual. That said, I still believe there's kind of a practical component within this, because I think it's possible for someone to be advancing spiritually, and yet to not really be sure where to start on these God-given goals and dreams that they feel like have been placed in their heart. They're not sure how to bring those to, through, to fruition, their purpose. Again, uh, my wife graduated from GCU. Their slogan is, find your purpose. It's almost like a, like a guarantee stamped on the box, you know, come to GCU and you will find your purpose. And she joked when she graduated that, uh, She's like, I don't know if that was false advertising. Could I get a partial refund? Because I didn't really find my purpose there. Um, And I wonder, when you look at this, what if our purpose is not something that's found? What if it's something that's created as we begin to see how we are put together, how we are built to run? That's what I call our God-given purpose. One practical way to make movement in these areas of your life 
is goal setting. That may sound like a four-letter word, because it is. Uh, but goal setting, you know, again, progress doesn't happen by accident. And, and I want to be very clear, we're talking about goals, not wishes. Wishes are nebulous. Goals are concrete and measurable. A wish would be, you know, I want to get, get in better shape this year. You can't measure that. You know, but a goal would be, I want to be able to run a half marathon before the end of the year. That is concrete, it's measurable, you know for sure, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you've accomplished it or not, or if you made it 34% of the way. Which I've seen, oh, that, that year I did run that half marathon, I remember coming down the finish line and I saw it about 200 yards out and there was someone passed out in the center of the road that didn't quite make it. They saw the finish line, but they couldn't quite push through. And I wonder if they just weren't prepared enough. Um, by the way, I'm not, sorry, I'm, I'm like kind of all over the place this morning, but um, again, my brother, I, I keep referring to the sides of the room. I realize we got people here too. Um, but he and I have done a lot of this over the years, and he is one of the most consistent people I know at creating, editing as needed, reevaluating, and completing goals. So where my explanation falls short, feel free to fly and tackle him after service and find out a little bit more. But for years, in October, we've done a goal-setting retreat where we go up into the mountains for a couple days and we, we talk through our goals from the last year and then we kind of begin to set goals in different areas of our lives for the year to come. Now, admittedly, the last couple years have thrown off my groove and so sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes survival mode kicks in and we got to reset and reevaluate. But I want to show you just an example of what my goals were from 2020 so that you can, maybe this will be helpful to see how we had these laid out and you can make your own. Now, you notice it's not an extensive list, right? Probably each of these you could break down into actionable steps. Um, if you're an achiever, overachiever, you may have a bazillion more of these, but for me, it helped to have a few specific goals that were concrete that I could know that whether I accomplished them or not and into categories. So I had spiritual as a category. I wanted to fast one day every other week. I wanted to read six books that year, which for me, that's very intentional. I know some of you read six books in a week, no problem. But for me, I gotta like set time aside for that. And I wanted to take six, at least six days away with God, which is just a day away just to reflect, leaning into our sacred pathways, leaning into spiritual disciplines in order to draw closer to God. Personal goals I had. One was to finish Old Yeller's co cosmetic makeover. Old Yeller was the name of my 66 Suburban before uh, it was blue or green or whatever color it is now. And I put body, paint, and interior. And we got two-thirds of the way done with that. And it still is sitting there. Um, clean up backyard, put car gate in backyard. Again, these are just goals that I wanted to set out to accomplish and I was able to. I only had one relational goal in 2020, and that was to get married, which I did, check, check, um, two years ago today, actually, this Sunday. It was on the 29th two years ago, but it was Sunday morning. Two year, happy anniversary. <laughs> you got dinner plans? <laughs> um, physical goals, hike at least twice per week, financial. Professional, I had chopped up into two different areas because I'm on staff here at Renovation. Um, I also have a side hustle, a software company that I operate on the side. Just being in ministry full-time is all about the side hustle, you know. 
Um, so I had specific goals for each of those as well. Now, a few tips for when you're setting goals of your own. Number one, I would say identify the exact results that you are expected to re, um, achieve. These goals have to be measurable. You have to know, be able to say, okay, I have not completed that yet or I have. Number two, identify and remove major obstacles between you and your goals. So for example, if you wanna set out to read six books this year, my case, I may have to schedule a couple nights of the week where the TV just isn't gonna come on, right, in order to make space for that to happen. Um, maybe if you wanna fast, maybe you wanna make sure you're scheduling it around special events like, like birthdays or date nights or holidays or triathlons. Like, you gotta eat before you do a triathlon. Uh, and larger goals may need to be broken down into smaller measurable action steps. Number three, is this boring or is this helpful? Okay, Joel's excited. Number three, prioritize key actions necessary to achieve your goals. So this is how you're gonna get there, right? And maybe, maybe it's starting with the worst thing first, the thing you really don't wanna do, doing that first so that you get it out of the way and you can begin to see progress and momentum build. Or maybe there's a chronological um, significance to the events that you do. Yesterday, Joel and I were, were digging in my backyard and putting in fence posts. Um, but two weeks ago, I called Blue Stake to have them come out and mark to make sure I wasn't gonna be chiseling through any gas lines or anything like that, right? So sometimes there's different steps that have to be put in place in order to realize the goal of putting a fence in the backyard or whatever it is. Number four, revisit and adjust your goals on a recurring basis. Maybe this is monthly, maybe this is weekly, maybe this is daily, but it's not a Ronco electric food dehydrator. Remember those commercials, set it and forget it. Goals don't happen by accident, and it helps when we can revisit them because we can measure the progress that we've made, which in turn builds momentum. Um, there is a component to this whole uncommon thing that we do not yet have in place, and we feel like it could be the linchpin to uh, really using this as a catalyst in people's lives. And that is the idea of coaches. Um, years ago, Pastor Kirk gave me a book called Dream, The Dream Manager. And I think it was written by Matthew Kelly, but it's a fictional story that kind of proposes a business principle. And in this company, they decided to hire and institute a dream manager whose only purpose at that company was to help employees um, realize, identify, and then um, help them find their dreams, their passions, their pursuits. And for one worker that had recently migrated, their dream was to own a house. And so the dream manager would sit down with them and assess, okay, um, here are the steps that we need to do. And then from week to week, they would check in with them and say, hey, how's it going with this until their dream was realized. There was another one that wanted to become an author. And so, the dream manager did their research and said, okay, as best as I can understand, these are the steps that it takes to get to from where you are to your destination. And it's someone who can help you identify, you know, draw the commonalities on the sheet maybe and help say, you know what, have you considered this as a pursuit? And um, 
Someday we hope to have that in place and we may be asking some of you to be a part of that. But how cool would that be if, if part of our purpose even was helping other people identify and live into the fullness of how God has created them? Man, the cylinder, the structure is there to harness all of these things that are flying around and begin to put motion, movement, acceleration to it. Would you stand this morning with me? We're gonna pray and close, and, and, and I, hope this, I hope this has been helpful in some regard. I know it's been more teaching than preaching. Um, but man, you are built to run. And as the Apostle Paul would say, why not run in such a way as to get the prize, to run intentionally with purpose, with discipline in our lives that we wouldn't be found sitting on the sideline waiting for someday to happen. A reminder just once more, that link for Cylinder. Um, Kylie, if you wanna leave that up on the screen. But um, I just wanna pray for us and then you can go to Taco Bell or wherever you had planned for lunch. Father God, I thank you this morning just for each person within the sound of my voice, whether they are in this room now, whether they are listening to this on podcast later. Um, But God, I just believe you've created each person so uniquely. You've formed them while they were still in their mother's womb. And God, you have created within each each person a divine purpose, a way to live out that expression of, uh, of, of our faith walk with you. And so, God, I would pray over each one just illumination, um, clarity. God, I pray maybe even today over lunch there, there might be conversations just revisiting this. God, for those who have been through this content before and are realizing, you know what, I started with some great action steps, but now I'm not really sure where I left off on those. Maybe it's time to revisit So God, we want to be found as a people who are hearing your voice, and I'm just reminded, John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me, and I'm reminded of my best friend growing up. We could call each other, no caller ID, and yet from the first word or or noise, we automatically knew who was on the other line, and God, I just, I pray for that kind of closeness with you, that we would be a people that hear when you speak and oh, we know it's you. And so as we engage in these disciplines, as we seek your face in all of it, God, I just thank you that you don't leave us standing and you are going to lead us on. So go with us now this week. May we be mindful of these things, looking for opportunities to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Go in the grace and peace of God.